Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. Okay, as promised, here is um, the last section of 1 Peter 2.21. I know we've we basically spent the last couple just sort of talking about suffering and, and mentioning, again, the last part of that scripture. But I just think it's so important. It's such, again, a huge topic. It's such a, it's such a massive thing in everyone's life. And to understand it through a proper new covenant lens is, again, incredibly important. And I, I've been working on and writing up probably what will be somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight hours of actual teaching on the topic of suffering to cover it through the entire Bible. I just think that's super, super important, but um, this won't be the venue for that. I don't know uh, what that venue will actually be. There's a, my buddy Keith and I who do the Soul Brothers podcast. Um, if you want to go to Rock Salt, there's a, um, we do a podcast together. Rock Salt is my friend Keith's ministry, which is awesome. There's a Soul Brothers uh, podcast that we do together. Um, and if you wanted to head over there and, um, you know, listen to that. You, we just cover all kinds of different topics. And, you know, we've been kind of jumping all over the place. And we, we've focused recently on on the idea of uh, the new covenant and identity and the new covenant and the importance of that. But anyway, Keith has an idea of, of kind of doing a school or, or something like that. So we're not sure exactly how that looks. That's really in sort of the infancy stage. Uh, but he has ideas for maybe maybe that's where the the suffering topic could go because it really is huge. I mean, I, the, what God is giving me, it's it's a lot of material, Mo- mostly just because I want people to have the best proper old covenant, new covenant in Christ, out of Christ, like understanding of suffering and to to really come at it from a proper good place. Because again, I don't. I think so many. Uh, People are hurt or led astray um, by improper understandings and teaching on the topic of suffering. So um, that's why I really have a heart and a passion to kind of get this out there so that people will stop falling into the kind of simplistic understanding of, you know, God just tortures you to make your character better. Um, but that just that's just not cutting it. And it's, it's also distorted <laughs> and not true in a lot of ways. And I don't want that to be the only narrative out there that everybody listens to, because then every single time you go through anything and and you probably know this, if you if you're if your lens to interpret suffering is always, well, God sends these bad things to me so that I can grow as a person or, you know, have my character be strong, then every single thing you ever go through, you're going to view as God somehow making your character strong. And that might sound good on the surface, but I I know from experience that it isn't. Like, all of a sudden, every single negative thing that comes towards you, you will automatically assume that something's wrong with you. Because every negative thing that happens to you, you assume is because of your character sucking and must somehow need to get better. So you begin to view every single negative thing as like revealing something bad about you. And if you do that, you'll end up, sometimes I did, I can just speak from my personal experience. I ended up in a really bad place where it was like um, anything bad that happened to me at all 
Um, it, it was like it could never be anybody else's fault but mine. Now, I do understand that there's a, a weird flip side of that where a lot of people in our culture, basically everything's everyone else's fault and never theirs. Like I get that. That's a problem, too. But some of us and maybe some of you listening, like you actually do the opposite like I did. It's like everything bad that happens is all my fault and no one else's fault. And, uh, you know, it's all because my character sucks. And so I'm suffering yet again because of my bad character. When in fact, you might just be suffering because someone else's bad character, which, by the way, is a common theme like throughout the whole Bible. Um, so anyway, we're not going to get into that now. That's, that'd be part of the longer teaching. But I just wanted to throw that out there. So, OK, so last week we went over First Peter 2.20 or basically 18 through 20, where he essentially is just making the case like, I want you guys, if, if and when you suffer, I want you to endure it patiently, and I want it to be the result of you doing something righteously. So that's basically what he's saying. If you're suffering, I want it to be because you walked righteously and are suffering unjustly. And if that happens, like this finds favor with God, meaning this is, you know, th this is when you're walking in true godly awesomeness, you know, when you're, when you're suffering for things you have done right and not for things you have done wrong. Um, so then he says this, like right after that, verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose. Now, some people stop right there the way now, now you're going to see the lenses come out, right? As soon as somebody reads that line, depending on the lens that you interpret and understand suffering will be how you understand that verse, right? So when he says, for you have been called for this purpose, right? The, the people that say, ah, oh, every amount of suffering is coming at you to make your character stronger and to prepare you for this grand calling that will happen 50 years from now. Um, that understanding, and again, when I say that, I don't mean to say it mockingly. I'm not really saying it. I'm really trying not to say it mockingly. Um, all, all I'm saying, and, and I'm not, I'm not also, I'm not saying that there's no truth in those statements. There's truth in the statements, but they aren't true the way they've been stated. Does that make sense? So the kind of what I'm saying is like, there's truth in the statements, but they're not true the way they have been stated. So, um, like I just did right there. But if you, if you're one of those people and, and you read for you, I've been called for this purpose, then people go, see, you are called to suffer. Your purpose is suffering. Die, die, die. Like that's kind of like where you hear from certain pulpits and certain, you know, certain realms of the body of Christ is like somehow like that's your entire purpose. Like so your whole purpose on earth is just to suffer. Like that's what it is because it says right here. But let's understand what he's saying, right? We just read the entire chapter coming up to this place. And when he says, for you have been called for this purpose... Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. So, okay, think about what he's saying here. He's not saying like, you're called to suffer and that's it. Like what he said is when he said, for you are called for this purpose, meaning you will, you, you may, here you go, suffer and probably will suffer for doing righteously as Christ did. So that's all he's saying. Since Christ, um, also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, right? So the point here is that Christ suffered having done nothing wrong. So the point is he had no sin, no seat was, was found in his mouth, and yet he still suffered. And these people who are going under massive persecution, and maybe they're asking the very question, like, have we done something wrong? Like, have we have we sinned? Have we whatever? 
and all Peter is saying is like, look, keep walking in the way, keep walking in accordance with your brand new nature that is godly and holy, and then you'll know that the suffering coming your way is unjust, just as Christ's suffering was unjust. Um, and, and that's why he says, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So in other words, he's just saying to them, look, Nero's coming. This whole area is going to be under severe persecution if it isn't already. And I want you guys to make sure that if this sucker comes to your door, right, this kind of suffering and, and garbage and nightmare comes to your door. I want you to know that and to make sure you are walking in a way that's in accordance with your perfection so that you know this suffering came not as a result of your own idiocy, but as, a, as, as in fact a result of your own righteousness, which is exactly what happened to Jesus. And then he's saying, look, if and when that does happen, make sure that you don't revile in return. In other words, so people are coming at you and reviling you because you're a believer and because you're a cannibal and because you're you're into incest, which is we talked about in previous um, podcasts, what the believers in this area were being accused of, right? Because of like eat the body and blood of Jesus. They thought they were cannibals. They called everybody brother and sister. They thought they were incestual. Um, they, this is literally what they were accused of and being reviled. He's like, when that happens to you, don't revile in return. So all he's saying is like, it's, so he's not saying like everyone's called to suffering and that's like the pinnacle of your walk with God. Like that's not what he's saying, which is some of these places you would think that it was like the pinnacle of your walk with God. That's, that's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying like, if you suffer, Make sure it's uh, that none of it can be tied to anything you've done wrong, that you're actually suffering because of righteousness, because you've loved Jesus, because you're walking in your new nature. And then when that happens, he's like, just make sure you don't even revile back. But you, like Jesus, you keep entrusting yourself to him who judges righteously. In other words, you're continually coming back to God, continually coming back to his love, continually coming back to his character and just saying, I trust the living God that this thing coming against me is a persecution and attack that's hitting me. And again, don't, again, it's that weird thing that some people think like somehow suffering is this internal turmoil of depression and anxiety. And somehow this is like the wilderness. And I'm like, guys, no, <laughs> like that's not it at all. Like you might have um, inner hurt and turmoil that's a result of being persecuted or treating on you know being treated unfairly um that hurts and that's when he says we entrust ourselves to him who judges righteously and verse 24 and he himself meaning jesus bore our sins in his body <coughs> on the cross that we might so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. I mean, that is gigantic statement. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So what he's saying is, uh, we've heard this a lot before, but basically because Jesus bore our sin, we get to die to sin, meaning sin no longer has power over us. Sin isn't anything we walk in. It's not who we are. We actually now walk righteously and in righteousness for by those wounds you were healed. In other words, by faith in what he did on the cross, we are completely healed and set free with power of grace to walk in righteousness and victory at all times, in all places, in all things, and through all things. 
And he says, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He uses two Greek words here that are very interesting. The shepherd and guardian of your souls. It's like, this is the person who brings the healing and who keeps you healed, who brings, who surrounds you. The shepherd is the one who surrounds you, keeps you safe, protects you, um, and is also ministering and guarding your heart and guarding your soul. And he's telling him this in the middle of what is horrendous, horrendous persecution. And you know, and it's really weird. We're going to go right into the next line. We're, we're just going to introduce that concept. But I think it's really interesting that he spends this entire time talking about like suffering and and being righteous and make sure, sure that you're suffering for righteousness and not for idiot's sake. And, and then he goes on and says, Jesus did the same thing. So I want you to be prepared with that purpose that sometimes you might have to suffer for righteousness sake, just as Jesus did. And that it's awesome and continually go, continue going back to God, continue entrusting and trusting him. And then right after that, and he's like, he's the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. It's like, yes, thank you, Lord. And the very next line is in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. And it's real interesting, right? He just talked about uh, he just talked about suffering unjustly and not reviling in return. And he uses that same exact analogy to come back to like you wives um, who are in a situation with the husband who is not being obedient uh, or disobedient to the word, basically that they could actually be won by your love and your kindness in return. Now, now this is going to open up a whole nother can. And so I don't know that we're going to have time to open up the can here um, because uh, this is another this is another very, very um, delicate hermeneutic. I'll put it that way. So <laughs> if you don't know what that means, it's like you have to please everyone listening to this, please, please, please. We are not looking at the Bible to find the letter of the law. We are looking at the Bible to find the spirit of the law and to read it in the Father's heart and to read it in the Father's love and also to read it through the lens of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So I don't know how much I have to say that to everybody. Like everyone, because they're so schooled in religion, they're so schooled in old covenant thinking, and they've been so bathed in the spirit of religion that when they go to read the Bible, they're looking for the next law. They're looking for the next rule. They're looking for the next like thing we have to perform or, or whatever we're not doing right. Like they're always, always looking for where's the next law book. I mean, they literally don't know it, but you listen to these teachers and you listen to other people and they read the new covenant like Pharisees. Like they literally are reading it to try and find a new hoop to jump through. They're trying to find what else we aren't doing right and what else we need to start doing right. And they're finding yet another law or yet another rule or yet another thing they shouldn't do or should do. And it is weird. And it's like, this is how it's like Jesus died to get you to not think like that, but to actually see it relationally and actually see it in the spirit. No, no, I'm not saying like we read over stuff that are clear commands and like chuck them out the window in the name of relationship. I'm, obviously, I'm not saying that at all. Like there's, there's obviously very clear commands and clear things given down um, in terms of, you know, behavior, morality and all that. So I'm um, not at all. Am I saying like, just throw it all out the window for, you know, cause 
the Father's love. I mean, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is in the Father's love, it, it, it actually opens up the depth of the scriptures in a relational way where you get the heart of God, not just the rule that you're looking for. And I really want to just speak this as loudly as I can. Like us teachers and preachers, please make sure your heart is broken and absolutely in love with God and in love with people. So when you read this Bible and this precious word of God, you are bringing forth the true meaning and the true heart of God. Because this scripture right here, you can imagine, right? I don't even probably have to tell you how this can be used to keep women in prison. And I I, I guarantee you, Peter's thought behind this wasn't, how can I make sure women stay in abusive, hateful, horrible relationships? I got it. All right. First Peter three, verse one, because this is how it gets taught. Is it not? I've, I've heard this so many times. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I had come into my counseling office with the husband who was literally raping them, uh, mocking them, beating them. I mean, this crazy stuff. And they had gone to another pastor who said, you just need to take it essentially be submissive to your husband. They would read this to them so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they'll be one. So they're basically like, look, um, just you keep being loving while he beats the living crap out of you. And it's like, whoa, I mean, I hope everyone can realize how insane that is. And only someone who doesn't get the father's heart, the father's love or the life and ministry of Jesus it would possibly tell a woman in that situation, like, oh, just sit there and take it, like, because you need to be submissive. It's like, my goodness. Like, if you guys don't think that happens, it happens. I, it's actually sat across from me on a couch in my office. It, it happens. No doubt about it, this happens. And that's an extreme example. But this happens at lots of little examples where people, they don't have the father's heart. They're All they're doing is looking again. And, and a lot of people, uh, maybe some people are like really true Pharisees and filled with arrogance and insecurity and it's just yucky and gross. But most people are really just trying to follow the word. Like that's truly, at least the ones I know, that's truly their hearts. Like they really just want to follow the word of God and they're trying to be, you know, like they're trying to be uh, holy and they're trying to be diligent in regards to the word. Um, but in that diligence, this this kind of yucky, pharisaical, controlling, legalistic spirit comes in, and they read something like this and go, no, women, you just have to stay in there, be submissive, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, hold on. What did we just read in the context of this? What the heck is he talking about? Well, remember, the whole context of this Romans, or from, sorry, First Peter 3, 1, goes back to the previous 10 verses, where he was simply making the point the entire time that some of you might be in a situation where they're not exactly acting godly, and um, that is a form of suffering and persecution while you are acting godly. Um, and, and, and you might have to stay in that situation because God has called you, you know, to, to walk through it, whether you're a servant and a master or a wife and a husband that is under a situation that's not easy. But in no way is this justifying somebody staying in a, a horribly abusive and dangerous situation. This is uh, God is not here calling women to to now uh, be prisoners in their own home and to and to sacrifice their safety and the safety of their children un, uh, unto the following the Bible. I mean, do you realize how crazy that is? It's like, yeah, now I'm going to sacrifice everything about my health and my safety um, so I can follow the scripture. It's like, 
that isn't at all the point here, <laughs> like whatsoever. I hope you can see that. I hope you can see throughout this entire time that he's talking, all he's doing is making a statement about suffering through this entire passage that if, if and when you suffer, make sure that you don't have any unrighteousness as a result of the suffering. So uh, make sure that you're walking in love and you're walking in righteousness and holiness, no matter your situation. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, you know what? If you do that, there might be husbands who actually are brought to repentance by this kind of love and righteousness shown to them by their wives. Verse two, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And again, next week we'll enter into a whole nother realm of braiding your hair and all this other kind of stuff. Um, but I just, I want you to, to, to end with that. Cause it kind of shifts into a bit of a different and kind of strange, uh, hermeneutic that we'll have to get into as far as like what women's wearing jewelry and all this other kind of stuff. Um, but again, once again, I want you to understand like at no point in the ministry of Christ, do we see Jesus putting more shackles on women. Um, and again, women were probably the most oppressed people group in the, in the entire ancient Near East. I mean, they were not even considered people um, in a lot of, uh, they're considered more like property. And Jesus kept elevating them and elevating them and elevating them and loving them and loving them. And it's like, whoa, like we read that as, as him or sounds like in this modern culture, people slap it on as like, and it becomes another control mechanism. And it's like, that does not reflect the life and ministry of Christ. So anytime you read anything anywhere in the old or new covenant that does not reflect the life and ministry and heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have got to make it bow to it. In other words, if you can't bring it into to harmony with the life and ministry of Jesus, you've got to change the way you've understood that scripture. So does that make sense to you guys? Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father. So if that's true, and it is true, anything you read anywhere in the scriptures or anywhere, period, that you that is about the of God, about who God is, and you cannot line that up with the life and ministry of Jesus, it's because you have misunderstood or misapplied the text. So just keep that in mind. Jesus elevated women, loved women, and empowered women. And Holy Spirit certainly isn't going to inspire Peter to write something to put them in a further prison. That makes absolutely no sense. So um, man, this is a huge topic. We'll get into it more next week. We'll continue our journey through 1 Peter um, and we'll get into braided hair and, and all kinds of other stuff that has been like way controversial over the years. Like women shouldn't wear makeup or so anyway, we'll get into all that and we'll discuss uh, further what this could mean. And again, uh, the hermeneutic here is always back to the life and ministry of Jesus. So anyway, love you guys. Hope this is making sense, penetrating hearts and setting you free. I will um, talk to you very, very soon, and we'll continue our, jo our journey through First Peter, talking about what women should wear. <laughs> and uh, it's just going to get deeper from there, and hopefully we'll come out of it in a really beautiful and not weird place. So, <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through His Word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the Give link. Thank you.